You are listening to episode three of the EU Startups Podcast. Today with Florian Schwantner, who founded the digital fitness company Runtastic, which Adidas acquired for 220 million euros. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the EU Startups Podcast. Initially, we planned to publish this episode as always on a Friday, but since I just became a dad a few days ago, I was quite a bit distracted, in a positive way of course. And also, we just did a quick poll on Twitter and found out that most of you actually prefer Monday for the launch of new episodes. We therefore decided to also publish our upcoming episodes on a Monday. If you want to make sure not to miss out on an episode, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast or to the EU Startups newsletter. And before we bring on today's interview guest, I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsor. The EU Startups podcast is powered by Shareworks by Morgan Stanley. Combining cutting-edge technology with outstanding client service, Shareworks by Morgan Stanley provides solutions designed for the unique needs of startups. Shareworks by Morgan Stanley simplifies the complexities of equity plan management, helps you engage with your employees and provides your business with the tools it needs to comply with local and regulatory requirements. As an integrated platform, everything from HRIS integration to audit-ready financial reporting works together seamlessly for improved accuracy, collaboration and decision-making. For more information, visit shareworks.com or check out the link in our show notes to schedule a free demo. But now, without further ado, let's jump right into the phone interview. Today I'm excited to have Florian Krantner as interview guest for the EU Startups podcast. Florian co-founded the company Runtastic together with three friends in 2009 at the age of 26. Runtastic turned out to become one of the world's leading players in the digital health and fitness space. Florian was leading Runtastic as CEO until the end of 2018. Although in 2015 the company was acquired by Adidas for 220 million euros. Today Florian is an active business angel, book author and TV personality, but mainly focused on his role as co-founder and chief growth officer at the GPS tracking company Tractive, which allows pet owners to locate their dog and cat at any time. Florian, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Thomas. I'm happy to be here. Thank Perfect. you. Perfect. Thank you. Um, so maybe let's start off um, at the very beginning of Runtastic. Um, how did it all start and what were your main challenges in the first years? Yeah, of course, there were many challenges. Like every entrepreneur faces them, I would guess. So when we started, you know, there was not really a startup scene in Austria. So what did we do? Uh, my co-founders and I, so we wrote a business plan, not a pitch deck, really a business plan with about 70 sites where we had all the financial planning in there, the team, and so on and so on. And I think we won one or two awards in Austria um, just for the business plan. Uh, but that didn't help us to raise some money because we would have needed about, uh, I think, 150 to 200,000 euros. And with our Austrian and German mentality, Everybody knew why it's not working. And nobody believed in the idea. Nobody believed in the founder team. They said, uh, four founders, no way that you guys are going to be successful. Why should somebody use a phone for running? So there were a lot of no's 
And I think that was one of my biggest learning because there the story already could have been ended. Um, and each no for myself was a big motivation. And in my head, I turned each no into a big yes. I will show you. That's doable. That's possible. So that was a little bit one of the biggest challenges at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Okay. As you said it, it's a challenge for every founder who wants to raise funding. And now, especially during COVID-19 times, this probably becomes even more challenging because you can't meet so much with um, investors face to face. Do you have any advice um, on, on what helped you um, back in the days to eventually succeed raise, raising money? Um, to be honest, we never raised money because um, with all the no's, what we said, okay, If we don't get any money from external, then we have to work and uh, earn our own money. So what we did back then is we worked during the weekend, we worked in the evening. So we built apps for other companies. Um, and I, for example, I was a lecturer at my university, at my former university at the weekend on Friday, Saturday. And we took all the money to pay our first employees. And the founders, uh, uh, we... Never got salary in the first 18 months, so life was wow. um, very easy. There was not a lot of money. That means a lot of working because you can't spend that much, which was mm -hmm. good for the product and were fantastic. Mm -hmm. And uh, to be honest, after a few months after our launch, so we, we launched the app in November 2009, um, and in January we would have got uh, money. Then we, would, uh, we already got our first acquisition offer after 12 months. So, But at this point, we already said we don't need external money. We do it in a bootstrap way, so we have control, we don't have anybody in, um, and we took laid on a few business angels, but not for money, only for advice, so they got a pretty small stake in the company, and we became cash flow positive already after 18 months, mm -hmm. and from there on, we were a quite uh, profitable company, uh, which is not the norm in the startup business, but we did it that way, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, wow. Um, and I assume you also made some mistakes along the way. Looking back in hindsight, what, what would you say were your biggest mistakes uh, when you started and grew Runtastic and what did you learn from them? So I think one of the biggest one uh, was that like in many startups, uh, you know, you're being a small round of people, the first five, ten employees. And what is happening that probably then you are marketing responsible person Uh, by the size of 10 people in a company, automatically uh, becomes the leader of the team. And then you grow further and you don't, as a founder, or back then with the age of, let's say, 27, 27 28 years, uh, I didn't have the leadership skills to figure out who really can lead a team and who can't, because I thought I can do it, so everybody else can do it. Um, but of course, we figured out that some people were not able to lead and guide and uh, motivate um, teams. And um, that, of course, became a little bit painful afterwards. Uh, I had to fire some people. I had really to change, the, uh, let's say, the structure of the company, um, install new people. So there was one good book I already can give the recommendation here from Ben Horowitz, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, mm -hmm. uh, which is really uh, one of my, my favorite books um, to learn. There's, a, I think, one chapter called How to Hire and Fire My Best Friend, something like that. And that was very helpful um, for me to learn in there. Uh, but that was definitely one big learning. And then another big learning was probably that I was never the biggest fan of networking events. And at some point, I did a little bit too much networking, I think. You know, going an event on a Wednesday, 
then having a few drinks in the evening is totally useless, in my opinion, if the startup is one, two, three years. Because what matters in the first three years, in my opinion, is the product. You have to build the best product and focus on your product and not doing anything else. That's a little bit the advantage of Lint, where I'm coming from. There's not that many startup events. Uh, mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I tell everyone, don't go on all these events and this mingling and this drinking and whatever. Uh, you don't need that in the first couple of years. You need to work and build uh, the greatest product you can. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So you built that company or you started it in, in Linz, uh, if I understood it correctly. Um, how would you say did this location play a role in the development of Runtastic? Do you think like you could have grown even faster if you would have been based in London or Silicon Valley? That's a very fair and a very good question. I have to say I'm quite happy that we did it here in Linz with all the advantages and the disadvantages at the same time. Let's start with the advantages. The good thing is if you convince somebody coming to Linz, and now for all the listeners to explain, Linz is uh, between Salzburg in Vienna and Austria. It's a city with about 200,000 people, so quite small. Uh, But nonetheless, if you convince somebody coming here, People usually stay for a long time because there's no big headhunting. There's not that many other tech startups. There's no Googles and Facebooks and um, whomever uh, next by and uh, headhunting your best people. That's the advantage. Um, and also we had a, a two very good universities, tech universities, uh, where we started on the University of Applied Science in Hagenberg. So we hired almost uh, the half, uh, half of the people came from there. And, you know, there was a lot of viral recommendations back then. Um, you should go there. This is a cool team. They can, they're doing a good work. Blah, 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 blah. And uh, the disadvantages, of course, are to get major leaders from New York coming to Linz. That's mm-hmm. a little bit harder to convince them, especially moving with the family here. Uh, fortunately, the city now got English-speaking schools and kindergartens and, and all uh, everything else. But nonetheless, uh, that's probably the disadvantages. But um, I'm still happy and I would do it probably again because I think and what I have seen from my from friends in Berlin and in London, mm-hmm. that it also really became hard in London to build a startup. You know, people want to have a lot of shares. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they normally don't stay for that long. They are getting a better offer next door. They are not being very loyal. Um, because even we thought, okay, should we open an office in Berlin at some point? And we really uh, had it on the paper, but we never did it because we thought uh, we are happy with Linz. Later on, we had an office in Salzburg and in Vienna and a very small one in San Francisco as well, but just with one, two people there to having a physical address and being better connected in the valley. But uh, we were quite happy. And I think it shows to everybody, you can do it from all around the world. That's the biggest advantage of tech in the digital, uh, let's say, the digital era um, that you can start a very globally successful company from a small city in the middle of Austria. Okay, cool. Very positive message here. Um, so we shortly touched on the point uh, of leadership um, before, and you led Runtastic from a small team to becoming a scale-up and later a unit inside a big corporation. How did your leadership approach change over the time, uh, and what were some of the most critical aspects of successful leadership and team building that you found for yourself? Yeah, first of all, I think uh, leadership becomes uh, the methodology or the the tool for the future, which will distinguish whether you are being successful or not. Mm-hmm. 
So I totally believe in uh, leadership skills are the most important part of the of the game, uh, especially when you're becoming a scale up or when your company grows. Um, for myself, it's not so easy to explain. I think I have a few strengths, uh, which is uh, communication and motivating people, and I'm totally a product guy. And uh, also my co-founders did a very good job here because we had two technicians as co-founders, Benny and Christian, and they could really handle uh, more the engineering lead and those people and Alfred, uh, the fourth co-founder, who uh, did really a great job in how to structure the company, how to build the organic RAM, how to to set up um, the, the right people in the right place. Mm-hmm. And still, my overall leadership skills, I think what is very important in a startup is leading by example. So uh, people have to trust you. People have to see that you are using your product. You know, I was running in the morning at 5.30 with four phones on my arms to mm-hmm. test the product. I mm-hmm. came into the office, I knew our product, I gave feedback, um, but I also really love to work with the team, stay till evening, really being together with them. And I think there are so many aspects in leadership. You know, leadership is not one thing. Leadership is about everything. How you set goals, we worked with OKRs, um, and so on and, and so on. And that's also the reason why I will found another company later this year, uh, only around the topic about leadership. So that is actually, nobody knows that yet. You are the first okay. one, I think. Wow. <laughs> and, <okay>. yeah, um, <laughs> I, I will do that, something there because I believe it's totally necessary to get leadership into a totally different level in the future. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, we have uh, hopefully learned a lot and seen a lot how a company in the 21st century can, can do it right. And also because you said becoming part of a bigger organization, in that case, Adidas, I had the honor to be in the core leadership group of Adidas, and I've co-founded the digital leadership team at Adidas. Uh, we were two times in uh, at Harvard Business School for leadership training, so I really was allowed to to be part of of the leadership uh, team at Fantastic, but also in a corporation like Adidas uh, with more than 60,000 people. And I think there's a lot in parallel between a startup and a big corporation, and leadership works very similar in both ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. The um, usual perception is that uh, decisions are made in big corporates a lot slower, that it's uh, a lot more political and difficult and bureaucratic uh, than in a in a startup. Was that also your experience in Runtastic later? Uh, sorry, in, in at Adidas, or mm-hmm. um, did it went rather smoothly for you, like the the integration in Adidas and working with them? Yeah, I, I would say yes and no. Of course mm-hmm. it was, because uh, I think it's by nature that a company with 60,000 people, that there's more, pro- more processes, that there's more level of people. Um, and of course, they, are, they have, from a law perspective, sometimes to double check things more often like we did it in a startup. You know, mm-hmm. we said sometimes, okay, that might be a little bit gray zone. Let's go for it. I mm-hmm. think we can do that and we fix it on the way. A big corporate can't do that. So yeah. therefore, I do understand it. But nonetheless, there's also old processes or people who do not understand the digital world. And here, I think uh, we were somehow, something like to a kickoff into the digital world of Adidas. Uh, the artistic acquisition was really important. Um, and then we changed. Uh, you know, in the digital leadership team, we introduced OKRs. We started as OKRs, are objectives and key results, uh, uh, method, how to work on a quarterly basis with your goals, that you really focus on your goals and not uh, getting 
uh, disturbed by by any other uh, goals are coming in or topics coming in. Mm-hmm. And yes, sometimes it was pretty hard for me because I couldn't understand why we can't make the decision. But uh, also to be honest, um, I tried really to push for that. So together with the new CEO Kasper Rostet and the CMO Eric Litke. We flew into the Silicon Valley. I want to show them that big corporations like Facebook, uh, Google, Microsoft, they can also uh, work more agile uh, with so many people and so many employees. And I think we took some of the learnings here from Rantastic and we adapted them to Adidas. Mm -hmm. So, of course, it's still a big corporation and some processes are slower for 100%. uh, But nonetheless, I think we made a big step in working more agile and more modern. And mm-hmm. of course, there's a, a lot of things uh, are still uh, open and there's a lot of to-dos, but that will never stop, in my opinion, even even not in a startup with 250 people. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. As I mentioned in the intro, Runtastic eventually uh, was acquired by Adidas at a valuation at 220 million, which is pretty much one of the biggest exits uh, that Europe saw in the in the past decades. What was that experience like and did you ever regret it or did you learn something for yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm still getting goosebumps uh, talking about that because, of course, it it was a great experience um, Mm -hmm. uh, because when we were acquired, you know, I stayed on board as the CEO of Fantastic for three and a half more years um, and I was also allowed to be in this uh, group at Adidas uh, working also directly with C-level and management at Adidas. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be honest, I learned a lot from them because like Eric Litke was like a mentor to me uh, and in my opinion, the best brand uh, guy I've ever met in in my life. Mm-hmm. So that was great, but also the way how we did it uh, getting there, you know, um, there were this big news that Under Armour back then um, acquired my fitness pal. It's mm-hmm. funny because their strategy never worked and now they are trying to sell them again, I read last week. But they acquired my fitness file, a calorie tracking app for 485 million. And uh, that happened in January in 2015. And immediately, you know, people were knocking on our doors. And there was one big rule we always had internally. We don't sell our company. In case somebody will buy us, they knock on our doors, but we don't knock on other doors. And if good companies, uh, big successful companies knock on our doors, um, I will talk to them because I know I always can learn something from uh, big managers, from good people, from, from board members of such big, great companies. Mm-hmm. I can learn. And so we started talking to, let's say, a handful of companies. And yes, it turned out that Adidas was really in a change. He didn't have a good 2014 and he knew he had to become more digital and we really could be a good part in there. But we also talked very hard, hard about it. Um, it's not okay to integrate us and to destroy our culture. We want to stay independent for the next couple of years. And then we want to look how an integration could look like. And um, that's how we made it happen. And I think the biggest achievement was that I was sitting together with the CMO back then, Eric Litke, in the car. And we gave our other, so we did a handshake agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything what we are doing, the both of us have to agree and we don't destroy each other, or let's say Adidas is not destroying the startup fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that worked out very, very well that other tax companies, meanwhile, came to me and asked us for the blueprint, how we did that, that that really turned out to work very well. And of course, uh, also the, 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 the size of the acquisition uh, was great. Uh, many, many people are quite happy. 
But um, you know, we did uh, we did this announcement, and next day I was going to the plane and flying to San Francisco for other meetings, mm-hmm. and I worked uh, the next three and a half years quite hard, um, even though uh, we earned a bit of money and all, all good, all good. But for mm-hmm. me, it was very important that Rantastic is still super successful. I think I saw just on their job page they are hiring still many many people. So um, for me, it was very important that the whole acquisition, that means even after the signature. Uh, and the money being transferred, uh, everybody in the company is doing well. That there's a good, a good karma in the company. There's good mood, um, and the, the company is moving on in the right direction. And even now, there's a new CEO, Scott Dunlap, is doing a great job. And that was very important for me, even mm-hmm. though I was leaving then after three and a half years. Okay, so you just mentioned shortly that you were working hard and that you kept working hard. Uh, what is your approach on work-life balance as a founder, and how did it uh, change over time? Yes, first of all, I don't like the word or this phrase "work-life balance" because mm-hmm. uh, that would implicitly say there's a work and there's a life in your life, which might be true. But as an entrepreneur, you don't distinguish so much between life and work. For me, you know, I think it's very sad if people say I have to go to work. Then it should change if possible. And I think everybody could find some work where he or she is not saying I have to go to work. Uh, more like, you know, I like my work and it's part of my life and what I'm doing there has an impact and there's a purpose behind that. Mm-hmm. And for Rantastic, there was always a big purpose behind that. Uh, first of all was as an entrepreneur having an idea and, uh, having something in your mind and putting it into reality, that's like the big dream. And if you can live out of that, make money, um, then this is even bigger. And if you can make more money than you would have made somewhere else, then it's probably the the biggest achievement somehow. But also forming a team, having like young, motivated people around you. And therefore, it was never this work-life balance. It's more like the overall balance in my life. Mm -hmm. And that means um, the first 10 years, there were a lot of office time and a lot, it was almost never, never switching off Rantastic, you know, even though I was a few days on vacation, I used my product or our product. I, I sent feedback reports. I looked into the, there was no Slack back then, but in the Skype channel, in the emails, what is going on? Because you're just living it. It's your baby. It's your dream. But um, fortunately, I also learned when I now, uh, how to say, ended my role as the CEO of the company and really uh, uh, got out of the company. Uh, I took half half a year, like kind of a sabbatical. And after a few months, it was quite good for me uh, not thinking about Rantastic anymore. I'm a happy customer right now, but I'm not getting like, let's say, angry or like if I see something, what is not working. I know I would have done it differently, but I also do know it's not my role anymore. And I'm in a different stage now. Mm-hmm. I wrote a book. I try to support other founders. I'm invested in more than 25 other startups where I can share some of my experience. And, you know, that is what gives me back the motivation now for life. And I think this is a little bit for everybody out there. There might be different phases in your life and you have to find your balance in every stage, and uh, you mentioned at the uh, uh, at the beginning when we started talking, um, before we st- uh, hit the record button, mm-hmm. that you are becoming becoming a father within the next week. And I think you know that's another next stage, and that could be a wow stage, hopefully in your life and hopefully in my life uh, at some point. And mm-hmm. therefore, I always think um, you really have to make sure that the whole balance in your life, in the right stage, 
fits to that. What you, what are you expecting somehow? I don't know whether that is was said well, but mm-hmm. that's how I see it somehow. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, so, so today you're mainly focused on your role as co-founder and chief growth officer um, at Tractive. Can you give our mm-hmm. listeners a short pitch um, about what Tractive is doing and where you see the company in the next two or three years? Yes, sure. So Tractive is a small device for your collar of your pet, your dog or your cat. Mm-hmm. It's a GPS tracker, um, and we are being the world market leader in GPS tracking for cats and dogs. Um, that means you put it on the color of your dog, you, you can build a geofence in the app, and for example, if your dog runs away, um, you will get a notification, and you can see in lifetime where your dog is. There's then a small LED on the device, you can turn on a small speaker there, And we also just announced a new feature called activity monitoring, which is like a little bit uh, Fitbit uh, for pets, where mm-hmm. you see how many active minutes you have on a day. You have a leaderboard in there. You have a pet profile. And uh, I co-founded the company back in 2012 uh, with my uh, great co-founder and CEO, Michael Hurnaus. And it was quite funny because he was working for a Silicon Valley company. He was working back then for Amazon. And he really was one of the first software developer on the uh, Kindle Fire back then. And every time I flew to San Francisco, of course, we met. I always told him about the fantastic story and how great it is to become an entrepreneur. And, you know, he had this entrepreneurial gene in him as well. Mm-hmm. And I told him and we talked about and he had a similar case that a dog ran away uh, in Seattle where he was living back then. And so we said, you know, why not using this technology we are doing for runners, uh, Mm -hmm. for cats and dogs? And so uh, eventually he came back um, together with his wife and then we co-founded Tractive with uh, two more people. And now, yeah, we are being uh, the world market leader in the space, having about 280,000 paying monthly customers uh, because it's a subscription business. Mm -hmm. It's quite successful having 27 nations in our company. They are very diverse, also based here in Linz. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we even want to become bigger. And what can I say? In my opinion, Tractive has at least the, poten- uh, uh, yeah, at least the potential of Rantastic. Mm-hmm. And in the next two, three years, I think we even will grow way, way further and way, way faster than we have done in the past seven, eight years. And I started working there uh, by beginning of this year as the chief growth officer. And I'm happy not being the CEO in the company. And I think that also changed in my life. Five years ago, 10 years ago, I was probably, uh, the, the, not, but in my opinion, CEO was the right role for me. Mm-hmm. Now I think being like more supporting the CEO is a role I really like a lot because it's a little bit quieter. I can focus a little bit more on strategy. I can give Michael a lot of input um, and he should earn the credit because he's doing that for the last eight years. And I can support that we can bring the company or get the company on another stage. And if somebody want to check it out, uh, Tractive.com um, is our webpage and feel free to check out the product. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. <laughs> Very cool. So aside of your role at Tractive, you recently wrote a book and you're also in the jury of the TV show Zwei Minuten, Zwei Millionen, which is like the Austrian version of Shark Tank or Dragon's Den. And through the TV show, but also privately, you're investing in startups, right? Um, and with which kind yes. of startups are you most interested in these days? And what are you looking for in a strong 
founder team? Is there like a common trait the way you where you're looking for? Yeah. So to your first question, of course, technology uh, driven startups are my passion because that's where we are coming from. Um, why I'm saying we, because most of the investments I'm doing together with my three co-founders, we started an own company called Eight Eyes, um, and we're investing with this company in now more than 25 startups, mostly here in Austria or Germany. Mm -hmm. um, and as you said, um, probably because people are very often asking me, what are you looking at when you're investing? Mm -hmm. um, is it the idea? And I say, yeah, the idea is 10%. Um, but 70% is the founder's team, like you mentioned. For me, the most important part is the founder team. I do like uh, uh, more founders, at least two, up to four. I mm -hmm. think that's the perfect way because we also did it with four founders. Therefore, I totally believe in that as well. But two, three, or four, quite good. And uh, I like it usually if there's one tech guy or a tech person and there's somebody who really can pitch the product and communicate it. So like a CEO and a CTO. Mm -hmm. I do not care that much about the CFO or the COO at the beginning because uh, that's what you can find on the way, in my opinion, but you need really this product guy and you need the tech guy who really can build the product. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other, I, I talked about 10%, um, the idea, 70% uh, probably uh, the founder team and the remaining 20%, in my opinion, is the timing. Because if you look back in time, so Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, they were good guys, no doubt about that. But mm -hmm. also they had the perfect timing that the personal computer was just on the way, that all the technical details were there, you know, the transistors and so on. Yeah. So fantastic if you look back. Uh, back in 2008, 2009, the mobile phones came up with GPS integrated. And fortunately, the app stores like Apple and Google came because otherwise we would not have a distribution system in there. So I think this is always a little bit luck, uh, but also it's very, very important. And there are some startups, sometimes they are being ahead of their time and they never make it because they are just too early into the market. And therefore, mm -hmm. timing is such an important uh, uh, part also in your, your founder journey. And those are basically the three factors I'm looking in. And of course, I want to see that they are not just talking about an idea. I want to see they're already having a prototype. They're already being in the market. They quit their job. They're already working on that at the weekend. And you know this, this passion which you can't explain, but you feel it somehow. Mm -hmm. That's more or less than the gut feeling that you say, I do believe in those people. I see the passion in their eyes. I see when they are pitching that they're really meaning it serious. That mm -hmm. is so, so to say, uh, what, what I need uh, to consider to invest mm -hmm. in, in young founders, yes. Okay. And what's the best way for people uh, and founding teams to reach you? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I'm getting a lot of requests, way, mm -hmm. way too many via Instagram, because I'm being quite active with Florence.schwantner on Instagram. That's mm -hmm. not the best way. Um, that's maybe a way to, to read my Monday motivations or things like that. Um, the best way probably would really be uh, via our website. So it's called uh, eateyes.io. The eight is a, uh, is a number and then eyes like the eyes because we are being four people having eight eyes. Mm -hmm. um, and then you will find there an email address or a contact formula at the very bottom. It's called the email address is office at eighteyes.io. 
Mm-hmm. Perfect. To, to write there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. So I have a very last question, Florian. So you started Runtastic in 2015. Let's imagine you could travel back in time and give your 25-year-old self some business and life advice. What kind of advice would you give yourself? Um, the business advice would still be very similar like I have done. Uh, just try it and don't listen too much to other people. Because many people told us we should not do it, we won't be successful, that can't work, and all the no's I just described at the beginning of this talk. And, you know, a little bit, I listened to here, to there, I went to another person, and from a business perspective, I would not do that again. I would really give the advice to myself, don't do that, just believe in yourself, um, and go the way like you would like to go your way, especially by the age of 25, you can't lose that much because you're being in this big learning phase. You can make money by the age of 30 or 35, but by the age of 25, you have to learn. And mm-hmm. if you think you can be a common entrepreneur, then at least you have to try it. Because later on, you would look back and say, probably, why didn't, uh, why didn't I try it at all? And mm-hmm. I think that's really an advice. Go for it. That would be the, the business advice. Mm-hmm. The life advice would probably... Search for a mentor or search for a group of people. They might be a bit older than you. You really trust or you really see, you're looking up to and see, hey, that's somehow I could imagine being in five or 10 or 15 years. For, unfortunately, I never had that until uh, uh, the age of 25. Later on, I found uh, mm-hmm. some people there, but I would start earlier if possible, already by the age of 16 or 18. Um, and nowadays, especially due to the internet, and so it's way easier at least to follow people on YouTube, on Instagram, wheresoever, and getting motivated by them or getting in contact with them. Um, but that would be my life advice, to have really a mentor, somebody you trust, somebody you can talk to, and somebody who sometimes supports you with a decision, go left or go right. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much, Florian. It was a great interview. Have a nice summer in Linz. I will. Thank you. And (laughs) you're very welcome. And thanks again for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. Perfect. Okay. Ciao.